Well, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to continue on this theme. Last week, uh, the message was overcoming the lukewarm spirit. I'm going to do part two to that and kind of dial, uh, dig down maybe into some of these layers of this lukewarm spirit and how it kind of manifests and operates so that we can identify it because the Lord wants to release grace to the spiritual family to overcome it and to walk in victory. And so we're doing these messages over the course of the fast in particular that we're calling the family conversations. Now some of you are relatively new to this message of Revelation chapter three and the Laodicean church or this lukewarm church, and that's okay. And others of you are familiar with it, but you're not quite at the point of having the conversations with the Holy Spirit about the implications of it for your own life. That's the part that I'm gripped by is that our spiritual family in these family conversations wouldn't just hear messages about it, but would begin, point one, talking with each other about it, and that's happening to a degree, but more importantly, even then, knowing kind of the main details of it and knowing, you know, having some understanding would be talking with the Holy Spirit about these particular truths and issues with the Holy Spirit about our own lives, personalizing it and taking it deep and allowing the Lord to do deep work. And the more that I look at this Laodicean spirit, this lukewarm spirit, this thing is not, in my mind, not going to quickly just go away because I stand at an altar ministry time and go, God, cleanse me of the Laodicean spirit, and then, woo, I never have to battle against the propensity to be lukewarm in my relationship with the Lord. Rather, the lukewarm spirit is something that I believe that we will battle till the very end. I mean, till the very, our very last breath. You know what Jesus what it says of Jesus in John 13, it says he loved them to the very end. And I think that there is a marathon posture that we're to have in regard to this spirit and overcoming it. And uh, similar to that is, you know, when you begin to identify the areas of lust in your own life, you know, the spirit of lust, temptation into lust, all forms of lust, desires, illicit desires. We all know that you don't go to a conference on a weekend and just get completely delivered from any type of evil desire and you just never have that anymore. And in a similar way, I think the Lord is girding us up to have this marathon pace to wage war against the spirit in our midst and in our own hearts so that we can be rightly aligned for him and what he wants to release. Well, Revelation 3 begins in verse 14 addressing this particular church. Seven letters, each of them addressed to seven churches in Asia Minor of that day, and this is the last one. And this church receives probably the strongest and most firm rebuke when the Lord says, I mean, of several things, he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth if you don't repent and turn from this spirit. I mean, it's really intense. So this church in verse 16 is identified as being lukewarm which means, in essence, an indifference towards Jesus as the bridegroom. That's how I would say that in one sentence. An indifference towards the heart of the bridegroom. Verse 17, they were disconnected from how they appeared spiritually before the Lord. They thought everything was fine. They had no needs. 
And as long as things continued as they were and they went to their church services and did their outreach ministries and everything, that they didn't really need the Lord. And the Lord says, you, you have no idea how in need of me you are and you've lost your, you've lost your way and your dependence on me, and that has contributed to you being lukewarm. You're now lukewarm because you're not dependent upon me. The Lord is not raising up a church that is independent from the work of the Holy Spirit and the zeal of the bridegroom. It is the exact opposite. The more we, as the body of Christ, come into maturity and fullness, the more we will depend upon the Holy Spirit. And for many believers, they... That's a new idea to them because in our faith and in our walk, we're trying to get tools, you know, emotional tools and spiritual tools so that we feel strong. And there is a part of that that is true, but the Lord's trying to get his church to depend on him and actually see her weakness. And that's where he wants us, is identifying with him and every day leaning in him and going, I need you, Lord, and I, and I want you and I, I depend on you that we would not become self-sufficient and self-reliant. That's a very dangerous place to be. So he counsels them in verse 18 to come and buy gold refined in the fire. And that means to exchange where they're spending their time and energy and begin to redirect their own resources of their life to go after and acquire that which has continuity in the age to come. And that's a, maybe a big sentence to say, but there are things in this life that we're to give ourselves to and sow into that actually have continuity in the age to come. And there are many things that we will give our life to and pour our time and our energy and our money into in this life and we'll stand at the judgment seat and those things will be burned up. They will have no continuity into the age to come and we'll enter spiritually poor, you know, as uh, Paul said in First. Corinthians chapter three said, you're saved, but as by fire. You get in, but there's nothing, nothing in your life has continuity in the age to come. He says, go buy from me gold. You need to wake up in this regard. Verse 19 is really important because it sets the posture of heart by which the Lord brings this rebuke. He says, I'm doing this because I love you. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I'm not rebuking you because I'm done with you. I'm rebuking you because I have a plan for you to overcome this spirit, your heart to be ignited with fire, and for us to share in the joy and intimacy of relationship and building my kingdom and doing what I'm doing in your generation together. He says, so I love you. And we need to, even as this morning, as we're looking at some of these things, we need to have that as the backdrop, as the foundation by which we hear the correction of the Holy Spirit. It is because of his heart of love. He says, be zealous and repent. We'll talk about that more in the teaching notes. He says, I want to dine with you, and I'm knocking on your door. Look at verse 20. This is important. The thing that Jesus is after is deep fellowship with you. And in that culture, in that day, and by the words of Jesus himself at the Last Supper, he says, earnestly, I have desired to have this meal with you. It's a place of privilege. It's a place of nearness to share in the fellowship meal with the Holy Spirit. We do that by talking with the Lord about the things of his word and having our heart touched and moved as we receive the affections of the Lord, and many other things. 
verse 21. He says that if you overcome this, I will give you reward where you will reign with me, sit on a throne with me in the age to come. When Jesus returns to the earth and he puts down the wicked kingdoms of this world and he establishes his earthly governance fully manifest, he says, I want you to share in that ruling and reigning with me as kings and priests before God. And Jesus says this, and this struck me, I mentioned this last week, that he overcame Jesus overcame this lukewarm Laodicean spirit in his life, meaning there were times in Jesus' earthly life, his earthly ministry, where he was feeling the temptation into this lethargy and this dullness and what we're gonna look at this morning, and he resisted it. In the heat of fasting, in the heat of ministry, in the heat of prayer, and weakness and the sweat and labor of life where, he, where our propensity is to feel overcome and despair and wanna give up and quit, Jesus did not give up. He did not quit even all the way to the cross when he was betrayed by his friends, when he was abandoned by his most zealous followers, he did not give up and he overcame the lukewarm spirit. And he says, as I have overcome, so too my church will overcome, but they have to say yes to me, and I'm not gonna do their part for them. They have to say yes to me, and they have to do their part. Like I mentioned, paragraph A, well, I'll just pray real quick, because I really need help. Lord, help me, amen. All right, paragraph A, we're in the family conversation, and the Lord's highlighting these passages here. They're in the teaching notes. You can get those online. These various passages, and one of them is Revelation 3, and our desire is that we would say it, we would get some of the main themes of these passages, and I think even more importantly, that we would talk to the Lord about it individually and as a spiritual family, we would talk to him about it. And the kind of fear of going before the Lord and saying, Lord, am I lukewarm? Do I appear as spiritually wretched to you? And ah, that's a terrifying conversation for some because we don't wanna hear the Lord say that about us. And so we try and justify it in many different ways by proving to ourselves and to others how devoted we are and the ministry that we're a part of and how fire we are and all the good things that we're doing without actually turning to the one that is the amen and the faithful true witness and going, is this really true about me? Because if the Lord reveals to us that it's true about us, it means that he'll make a way for us to get out. But if we never have the conversation and we never know that our garments are dirty and we never know that we're spiritually blind, we won't cry out like the blind men did in the book of Mark, son of David, like have mercy on me, let me receive my sight. So we have to know our need before there can be a solution to our spiritual needs. And we have to acknowledge it before the Lord. It's called humility. Well, there's a reason that the Lord's highlighting these passages to us. And one of the reasons is, is so that we as a spiritual family would overcome, we know this, the lukewarm spirit. Why? So that we would inherit the promises that the Lord has for us. Some promises are unconditional promises. There are promises in the word of God that are unconditional promises. Some 
I would say many of the promises that we have as individuals, and some of them corporately, are conditional promises. They will not happen unless we cry out for them, and they will not happen unless we overcome particular obstacles that stand in our way. Many believers have a personal prophetic history in their life, meaning two, three, four stories that were significant to them, and maybe you're still waiting for those stories, but they will happen. But the point is, is that you have promises of your life of what you're to do, and where you're supposed to go, and how the Lord is supposed to use you, and you know, we, we receive those things. Here's the problem. Most people believe those are unconditional promises. And they just believe that if they sit back and wait for God, and just kind of wait, kind of wait, passively wait, that those things will happen, and often that is not true. Scripture over and over calls us to engage with a heart of diligence in order to apprehend the promises over our lives individually and corporately. Look at Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, verse 11 and 12, we desire that you would show the same diligence. See, diligence is effort. It means we put in energy into the relationship with the Lord. We don't, through effort, gain salvation, but we, through effort, with this engaged heart over years of perseverance, we say yes to that which God longs to give. We rightly position ourselves before the Lord. We don't earn his delight. We don't earn his love. He gives those things freely to us. But he will not do the part of his people of intercession and engaging in persevering faith for many, many decades. Verse 12, <clears throat> Hebrews 6, he says, don't become sluggish. Now, this is this lukewarm spirit, and we're gonna talk about this in a moment, this spirit of slothfulness that comes and attacks the heart of the people of God. He goes, don't become sluggish, but imitate those like Abraham who through faith, I added the Abraham part, who through faith and patience inherit promises. Patience, the Lord calls us to patience to inherit the promises. I thought the Lord was calling us to just the 40-day fast, and at the end, we get the promises. He didn't say fast for 40 days, and then you get all the promises. He didn't say just go to the revival meeting, go to the big conference at the end of the year, and you'll get the promises. He says, no, you don't become sluggish, because that will be your propensity, is to draw back in your own heart. Don't become sluggish but press in to the Lord so that you would obtain the promises in the way that the fathers and mothers of the faith have before you. Diligence and focus are required of us. I have this quote here from Matthew Henry. <clears throat> he says, thousands lose their salvation for the most trifling gain, meaning the most insignificant momentary thing. People will lose their salvation or put in, instead of salvation, put in, they'll lose their reward. They'll lose what they can have of God for trifling things, he says, or the most worthless indulgences. He says, often just mere sloth and negligence cause people to miss out on that which God has for them. They get a little bit worn out they get a little bit fatigued. The Lord doesn't answer all their prayers as fast as they want them to. He doesn't release them into the, you know, 
the destiny and the inheritance that they're supposed to have. It doesn't happen in the first year or two of being saved or hearing those promises, and they get discouraged. And this negligent spirit sets in. That's what the Bible calls it, negligence. And this slothfulness, this heavy despair. And we can show up in our bodies, like we can drive to the meetings, we can drive to the prayer meetings, we can drive to our job assignment or engaging with our children and our family life and domestic life. We can show up in our body, but our heart is dead on the inside. Our heart is not connected to the Lord. It is not in vibrant unity with him. It is not being pulled towards the beauty of the Son of God. And our conversation with him stops. And then when it stops, a whole bunch of things start to unfold. Let's look at what some of these things are. He says of them in verse 16 that they're lukewarm. He says of them that their own confessions, that they don't need anything, and they don't know how wretched they've come before the Lord. See, their prayer, their press for more, however much we have, We want to be thankful, but we don't want to grow content with where we are. And many in their spiritual lives, their spiritual journey, both individually and corporately, they just grow content. And they just begin to say, I don't really have a need of anything because my business is increasing by four to five percent a year. My friendship group is growing. My ministry is growing. A few more people are paying attention to me. I'm getting a little bit more Bible knowledge, and we just kind of grow passive in our hearts before the Lord. The Lord says, that's being lukewarm before me. Well, these fathers, they're desert. They're the, called the desert fathers. There's kind of these mystical guys. They talked about this lukewarm spirit. And they use a particular term, but I'm going to call it in this message overcoming the spirit of sloth. It's connected to this lukewarm spirit, but it has a surprising twist to it that I want you to pay attention to. Now, this spirit that confronted them in their lives because it confronts every believer, it was known as one of the most destructive and dangerous spirits that they could confront. Because if you think about it in terms of relationship, one of the most damaging and and horrible things about a relationship is indifference. When two people that are meant to care about one another, that are meant to be invested in one another, when they just are completely indifferent toward each other, they don't care if they're there or not, they don't care about the other person or not, they just don't care. That is so destructive to our relationships. Therefore, it's one of the most destructive things about a relationship with the Lord. This spirit of slothfulness is not innocent, but it's destructive. It's aggressive. When we think of coming under a lukewarm spirit, it's not that the demon doesn't care that he's, you know, kind of relaxed and like wearing gym shorts and like, what's up? You know, it's not that. It is an aggressive demonic spirit that is trying to get you out of your inheritance with the Lord and is trying to make your love grow weak and cold so that you will be spewed out of the mouth of the Lord. He won't use you. This is aggressive. We need to pay attention to the destructive nature of this spirit and how it operates. Page two in the notes. The opposite of this spirit of sloth is not legalism, 
but rather this spirit of sloth is a religious and legalistic spirit. What does that mean? Because this religious spirit tries to answer the inner ache and the cry for God with either indifference or duty and obligation. Now, this spirit that was operating in the church of Laodicea did not mean that they had no works before the Lord. He says in verse 15, he says, I know your works. They were actually a very busy and productive body within that church. He's going, but you've been overtaken by a spirit of sloth. Now, those two seem paradoxical. When we think of the spirit of sloth, we think of just kind of sitting on my couch, you know, watching cable TV for hours on end or something. And the Lord says, when you're under a spirit of sloth, you can still be going through the motions of activity like this church was here in Laodicea. The big point is, is that your heart has become disconnected from Jesus. The slothful spirit, it denotes a lack of spiritual care. What is it that we care about? And the Lord wants us to prioritize and care about our inner life with Jesus as it pertains to fellowshipping with him because you can do the works of the kingdom without enduring intimacy and fellowship with the Lord. And you, it's almost like you live in a double deception when you're doing the works of the kingdom. You're evangelizing in the workplace. You're leading the Bible study on the side. You're showing up to the meetings. You may be even reading your Bible or praying. But when the heart has become disconnected from Christ and intimacy, we can lie to ourselves, we can look at our works or have other people look at our works or be a part of a ministry that has some reputation of works and, and being radical and we can gain a sense of confidence from those outward things. We can actually look at the way that we serve people and use our own evaluation of those works to scratch the inner ache and the longing of our own souls because here's what's true. When we're quiet before the Lord, all sorts of things begin to come to the surface. And one of the things that comes to the surface is our great need of God and how we can be spiritually wretched in his eyes. And we're terrified of that. We wanna do everything in our power to silence the silence. In other words, to fill up the noise of our life so that we're going from activity to activity and in between, in the car, on the way to the next thing that we're going through, we're coming home from work or driving to the weekend service, we've got the radio on or we've got a podcast on or we're surfing social media as we're listening to the podcast, as we're driving and we're thinking about how dysfunctional our life is. It's like we've, we're cooking four things on the stove at once and all of them are boiling over and the main thing that the Lord wants us to be engaged in, we're not even paying attention to it. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 10, verse 18, that spiritual laziness, this slothful spirit, it leads to a spiritual decay. It is not without cost. It, there is no neutral in the kingdom of heaven. We don't just click into spiritual laziness 
10 years goes by, and then we just pick up right where we left off. That's not how it works. We're either moving forward in our intimate relationship with the Lord, or we're drawing back from it. And Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 10, he says, because of laziness, and some translations actually put the word slothfulness there, the building decays. The building is our heart before God. It's what we're building that has continuity in the age to come. You know, mowing my lawn doesn't have continuity in the age to come. But if I mow my lawn, fellowshipping with Jesus, knowing that all things that I do, I do unto the glory of him, it actually does have continuity to the age to come. But I have to be in a different mindset and frame of thinking. I have to be engaging my heart in a different way. As a parent at home, when you're engaging with your kids, making them meals, cleaning up their messes, cleaning up their messes, cleaning up their messes, cleaning up their messes over and over, you can do it in a way where there's no continuity in the age to come. But if you do it as unto the Lord, as seeing him, as seeing these little ones, Jesus says, whenever you give a cup of cold water in my name, it's like you're giving it to me. You're visiting me in that way. The most mundane, monotonous activities of our life have continuity in the age to come. The Lord says, I make note. But it's all about your heart being connected with Jesus in the conversation along the way. There's two manifestations of the slothful spirit. Number one is that there's an increase or, or a sense of heaviness that comes. That's point one, heaviness. Point two, there's a sense of busyness that comes as an overreaction because of the heaviness. And that's what we're gonna talk about, look at here. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 11, a seemingly obscure verse. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11, it puts these two paradoxical realities next to each other. Well, how can you be slothful and yet busy? And that's exactly what Paul is highlighting here. Paul says, 2 Thessalonians, there's the verse. He says, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. And disorderly means undisciplined. They're not walking in agreement with the heart of Jesus and the teachings of Scripture. And here's what he says. They're not working at all, but they're busybodies. They're not working. They have a slothful spirit, and because they have a slothful spirit, they will throw themselves into activity and into ministry and into filling up their life so that they don't feel like they're failing. Number one, heaviness. When this spiritual sloth you can't, I can't help but picture the animal. <laughs> when this, it's not, it's not funny. I mean, it's aggressive. But anyway, when this spiritual slothfulness assaults our souls, there's a spiritual boredom that sets in. In our quiet time before the Lord, in our time that's meant to be this sweet devotional time, we get bored bored with God. We don't want to admit it to anyone. We don't want to admit it to ourselves, so we'll never ask the question, Lord, am I spiritually bored with you? That's how we know we won't admit it to ourselves. We won't admit it to God because who knows what he might do, and we won't admit it to our friends because we don't want them to think poorly of us. 
We don't want them to think that we're spiritually bored and spiritually dull. We'll make jokes, but not in a sincere way. And so we constantly avoid the conversation, and in the void, we fill it with spiritual activity, which we'll talk about in a moment. It's a perpetual cycle. And therefore, the church in Laodicea lived disconnected from their real spiritual reality because they would never talk to Jesus about it. They would never sit down and go, Lord, am I spiritually dull and lukewarm before you? Am I bored with you? We all know that we're not supposed to be bored, and so the idea even of being bored is like scandalous. How could I even admit that? And yet the reality is, if we don't admit that we're sick, we won't seek a physician. If we don't admit that we're poor, we won't go find spiritual riches. If we don't see that we're spiritually naked before God, then we won't pursue the heavenly garments that come only from him. David talked about this downcast, stagnant spirit in Psalm 42. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? There's a sense of inner restlessness within the heart of every human on the earth. But particularly here in this context, in the heart of believers, there's a restlessness that eats at us in the quiet where it's supposed to be us and Christ at the communion table, and we all learn that this is supposed to be this sweet and tender moment, and yet when we go and sit there, all of these emotions and fears and troubled thoughts begin to come to the surface, and we begin thinking about the chaos of our life and how everything is you know, going to poot and, and, and our, all the house projects we have to do and all the things we have to do with our business and balancing our finances and where the kids are at and how they're doing spiritually. And we end up disengaging in the conversation with the Lord to go so, seek some activity to appease the ache of our own soul. And the Lord's going, that ache that's within you, no amount of activity is gonna answer that ache. And you can run from it, but you can't hide from it. It's just going to come up again and again and again. This heavy spirit attacks the believer most severely when in the mundaneness of life. It's taking care of the kids. It's driving somewhere. It's in the silence of prayer. It's in the times where things are dialed down and we're left with our own thoughts. So what do we do? We quickly run to fill it with something else. Oh, turn on the podcast. Oh, turn on the teaching. Oh, turn on the worship. Oh, turn on the music. Oh, turn. We're trying to get something going in our minds so that we don't have to confront the wretchedness of our own souls. But if we don't confront the wretchedness, then we can't be healed by Christ. When we're in this state, it can cause us to begin to despise our surroundings. We don't like the context that we're in. We don't like the school we're a part of. We don't like the job we have. We don't like our coworkers. We don't like our friends. We don't like our spouse. We don't like the church we're at. We don't like the ministry we're a part of. We don't like our assignment. We don't like accounting. Even the Lord gave us a mind for accounting. We're like, ah. And we, what, what's happening? We're becoming disquieted, restless within us because there's this inner ache that has been unanswered. And we're not willing to confront our own spiritual condition 
and allow the healer to come and touch our hearts and to deal with these issues that rage within. Psalm 119, verse 28, he says this, my soul melts with heaviness. We feel that heaviness start to creep in when we close our eyes, when you're laying on your bed at night, right before you drift off to sleep. And you know that 18 seconds of when you finally brought yourself to turn off your phone and put it on your nightstand, there's like 18 second window between when it's off and when you drift off to sleep and you feel that sense of heaviness begin to creep in and you go, oh no. So you begin to fill your mind with all sorts of tasks and things and wonderful things. You try and reassure yourself that you're okay and that everything's just okay. This is just the way it is. But it's that inner longing that's crying out. This spirit of heaviness can cause us to believe that grass is greener everywhere else but where we are. In the other small group, it's better. In that circle of friends, it's better. In a different marriage, things would be better. In a different church, things would be better. And what does that do? It causes this culture to arise of this transient reality where everybody's just running around, hopping from place to place and thing to thing. They're wanting to be fascinated. They're wanting to be exhilarated, but they're not realizing that the exhilaration doesn't come in their assignment, their job, their role, their ministry, their family. The exhilaration comes by finding Christ in the midst of it in the most deep and profound way. So we have people that pop up and they move across the country and they join this ministry for a while, but they never put down roots anywhere. They never confront this spirit of sloth and this this constant restlessness that comes up within them and they just will do whatever they can to go from place to place to place, job to job to job, title to title to title. And the Lord just goes, wait, wait, Psalm 1. Be like a tree planted. And whether the Lord has called you to plant here in this particular spiritual family or wherever it is in Timbuktu, the point is get planted. Put down roots. Love Jesus. Serve. Find your satisfaction in him. Because you know, a tree that's constantly uprooted year after year after year, it will never bear fruit. If you're constantly digging up a tree and replanting it on the other side of your property, and then you dig it up a week later and replant it over here, the roots will never go down deep. And you'll never pull on those nutrients that you need to bear the fruit that God has called us to bear. Well, out of that heaviness, like I've mentioned, comes restlessness or busyness. It results from doing much activity devoid of intimacy with Jesus. This quote here, it says that the paradox of sloth is that it masks itself in fervid but misdirected activity. Our, our generation, our, our, our society is so fervid. I'm talking about in the church. Fervid. Everyone is tired. Everyone is caffeinating. 
everyone is feeling overwhelmed and goes to sleep. I mean, the vast majority of people go to sleep feeling like there's too much to do and not enough days to do it. There is no Sabbath and there is no rest because I can't afford it. How do we live in one of the most technologically advanced, you know, times in history? You have a car. You drove here. Back in the 1800s, you'd have been walking here. They're taking you four hours. How do we have so much technological advancement with so much connectivity, and yet we're constantly overwhelmed by how much we have to do? I want to propose that it's not because it takes that much to pay the bills because it is a condition of the sickness of the soul that's called the lukewarm Laodicean spirit that has laid hold of an entire generation and is propelling us, propelling us, propelling us into irrelevance when it comes to intimacy with Christ. In essence, page three, paragraph J, the slothful, lukewarm spirit is a self-seeking internal restlessness. What do I mean by that? As the internal restlessness emerges and we throw ourselves into busyness and activity and we're constantly texting our friends and, and going, hey, you know, how are you doing? And all in the name of like, I'm encouraging people. This is part of my ministry. It's like, no, you're supposed to be with the Lord right now. You're supposed to be in silence, allowing this spirit of sloth to manifest so that you can deal with it, overcome it through perseverance and connect with Jesus in a personal way. But through this fervid activity and through this restlessness, we actually begin to use other people and use ministry and activity and good works to justify ourselves and to appease ourselves. We go and serve other people, but it's not really for the other person. It's because I feel restless in my own heart, and I've got to do something to get that restlessness to go away. And I'm afraid of confronting it in silence, and I'm afraid of sitting and enduring and being patient and persevering in my intimate fellowship with the Lord by the Spirit. I'm afraid of that. I don't want to do that. So I'll go in to my prayer time and I will be assaulted by the spirit of go get a burrito. I mean, it's, I mean, it's remarkable. Those of you that have gone to the prayer room and you try and have devotional time with the Lord, you know, you sit there and I'm gonna explain what happens in your head. You will become the most productive human being on the face of the planet within five minutes because you will remember everything that you've forgotten to do. I need the tires rotated on my car now. I mean, these thoughts just bombard us. Well, I haven't talked to my friend in high school. and Wow, it's been 23 years. I better text them now. I better go Facebook stalk them and see how they're doing and just tell them, you know, God's thinking about them. And we're doing all this stuff because of our own inner restlessness that's propelling us out of fellowship with God, out of dining with Christ, and into activity. It's called lukewarm. Look at this, Martha in Luke 10. 
Many of you know this passage, Luke 10, verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving. Do you see that? Martha was distracted with serving. The serving became her distraction. It was getting her out of a conversation that she was supposed to be having with Jesus, the incarnate God who was in her living room. She approached him. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone? See, when we're confronted with our own Laodicean spirit, we'll complain about the people in our own lives. Our complaints towards one another, they're not fiery enough. The reason I'm not fiery is because they're not fiery. The reason that I don't pray and I don't do the stuff and I'm not da-da-da is because they're not. That's what Martha was doing. She's trying to offload the weight of responsibility on Mary. And we do the same thing. We look around, we go, well, it's, it's my leader's fault. It's my friendship group's fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's my roommate's fault. It's their fault that I am the way I am. It's my kid's fault. If they picked up all their toys, I wouldn't be having me to do this right now. I could be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Like, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be sitting there. Be real. Jesus responds to her. He says, Martha, Martha. He says, you are worried and troubled about many things. That was the issue. Her heart was worried and troubled by many things. She was distracted by many things. There was a restlessness, a disquietedness that was in her soul. Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha for working and serving and being hospitable. You know, all these sweet people have said to me over the years, you know, not a hundred, but 10 times, people are just like, wow, I just really identify with Mary because I like to make people food. It's like, or with Martha, rather, because I like to make people food and I have a hospitable spirit. It's like, that is not what Jesus is talking about at all. He's talking about doing the labor of ministry, working and serving other people, not out of a place of intimacy with the Lord. He goes, Mary, look at this in verse 42. He says, one thing is needed. One thing is necessary for you. For every believer, one thing is necessary to what? To overcome the Laodicean spirit. Sit at his feet. Then what? That's, that just start there. Just don't leave. Just sit there for a while. However long you determine before you go, sit there. Just sit there the entire time and don't leave. He says, one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that which is good, and it won't be taken away from her. See, what Martha was doing in her busyness and her distraction would all burn up when she stood before the Lord in the age to come. It had no continuity to that age. We could be in the hustle and bustle of ministry and life and jobs and business plans and everything and completely miss the necessary thing that Christ has called us to. How do we overcome? Number one, we have to admit that this is in us or consider admitting that this lukewarm spirit is in us, regardless of who we are, regardless of how engaged and active we are, regardless of how people might tell us, oh, don't worry, brother, you're not lukewarm. You don't get to tell me if I'm lukewarm or not. Only he does. I've got to tell him. I've got to talk to him. I mean, I've got to hear from the mouth of the master. 
The amen, the faithful and true. Brother, I appreciate you, but you're not the amen, the faithful and true witness over my life. You're a good friend to me, but I've got to do business with him. He's the one I stand in front of at the end of my life, and I've got to choose the good part with him. Number two, we got to be zealous and repent. Repentance is to turn the opposite direction of all the activity that is for us. And we gotta realign our heart. We gotta do it from a place of love and devotion to Jesus. We gotta return to that first love. We've gotta be zealous. He tells this church to be zealous. That means to fervently pursue it, to walk it out over time. It doesn't happen in one weekend. You don't get zealous at one service. He goes, walk it out before me. Put energy into this. Put resources into this. Turn to me. Do what's necessary to walk in the opposite spirit. This is a big one. We persevere. When that angst comes up and our flesh is writhing against it, no, I don't want to think about that. You just stop and persevere through that moment. You don't medicate it, you don't placate it, you don't run to something else, you don't turn it on, you don't let the person in, you don't look at the phone, you don't do it, you persevere. You stay in the conversation with the Lord. We remain at the feet of Jesus. Last one is, I think it's important to daily consider the brevity of our life. How short our years are before him. We only get one shot in this life to sow into the good part and have that which remains in the age to come. We only get one chance. You only get one shot. You only get one life, this short life that David calls a handbreadth, the width of a hand, from this point to this point, and then it's over. That's it. That's what I get. It's appointed to man to die once, and then the judgment. Like, I only Get this life. You only get your life, and it's a blink. You're 20, you blink, and you're 35. You blink, and you're 50. You blink, and you're 80. It goes by so fast. Ask any person. Everybody knows that. Let's have the uh, worship team come up. We're just gonna take a moment and, uh, and stand before the Lord. As we continue this, you know, Family conversation, surprise. The Lord wants to help us. He wants to renew us. He wants to transform us. It's this compromised church of Laodicea that has the greatest promises to rule and reign with him. But there's a part that we play. There is a part that you play that no one else can do for you. Your spouse can't go do it. Your friendship group leader, they can't go do it. They can't be zealous, repent for you, and get into that dialogue with Jesus in a deeper way. Your leaders can't do it. The prayer room can't do it. No one can do this change and this shift but you. And you need to take that seriously. Let's stand before the Lord.
Holy Spirit, we invite you to this room. We invite you. With the same power that the faithful witness has to see through all of our junk and say what is absolutely true, that same power he has to deliver us out of spiritual wretchedness, out of our spiritual sloth, out of the busyness of activity and the bustle of life. He has the same power, the same insight the man with eyes of fire has over your life to cut and see and so precise, so deeply that he could peer into our own souls. He has the power to free us. And he has the power to help the willing overcome this spirit as he overcame it. We could get free. We could turn and go on the journey and go, Lord, I want to get free. I want to get free. I'm just going to go into this song just for a moment. I just want to encourage you to wait on the Lord as we sing this, this song that Brent and the team are going to do and maybe ask that conversation, maybe ask that question of him rather. Maybe you haven't asked it yet. Lord, is this in me? Is this in me? It may not be in you. Great. But have you asked him? And have you waited on the Lord for this? Just as we sing this, Morgan, Tracy, Dave, if you guys need anything, feel free to come up here. Come Holy Spirit, let's just wait on the Lord and sing this song. From the love of my own From the fear of having nothing From a life of worldly
as we continue in this song, just waiting on the Lord, we want to invite you to come to the front if you'd like to stand before the Lord. You know the Lord is dealing with you on this issue. You're already into the conversation with Him and being confronted with the severity of where your heart is at or you don't have the courage yet to begin the conversation. You're going, I want to have this conversation with the Lord. This is serious. I want to have this. Lord, I want to overcome. I want to the statement over my life to be that I overcame by the blood of the Lamb. You helped me overcome this spirit, destruction that's eating away at my soul and my life. Just come to the front. Just stand before the Lord. Just stand up on these lines. Have our ministry team go ahead and be released in just a moment. Come pray. We want to fight for each other, but we want to do business with the Lord. This is a conversation that we have right with Jesus, our bridegroom, our beloved. We talk to him. We say, Lord, show me, reveal to me, uproot in me this spirit. Don't let it plague my soul. from the knee. 